the highlight for me. What an exciting moment for our group just to be around Bella and celebrate her as she got baptized. And I just love camp. There were so many good things. I would encourage you to ask one of our students about their experience at camp. I think they will all tell you they had a great time. But as much as I loved camp, come Friday morning, even though we were ringing the, watching people ring the bell and celebrating, when it came to Friday morning, I was ready to come home. All right, at camp, I mean, a lot of you have been there in the past. There is just no place like home, right? I was so tired. I was ready to see my wife and my kids, and I wanted to be in my own bed. And maybe you've been that way on a, a missions trip or a long road trip, even it might be in a nice hotel. There is just something about home that we just love. It's just comfortable, it's security. There's all these things special about home. When I uh, first got married 10 years ago, my wife, Amy, she's from Wisconsin, and I uh, grew up in this little town in Ovilla, just south of Dallas, and we were visiting, and I told her that you, you need to come with me to see the house that I grew up in. This was my home, and she honestly had no interest at all, okay? Uh, but I said, no, you have to see this. Like, I want you to see where the yard I played in, and I want you to see the bedroom that I had, and um, you know, where I, I, it's just memories and nostalgia. I want you to see this, and so she humored me, and we drove up to the house, and I said, here it is. Isn't it great? And she's, sure, you know, she, but, to me, that was my home. But see, I couldn't just stop with, with just looking at the outside of the house. So you know what I did? I went up, I said, we're going inside, okay? So I went and I rang the doorbell and this lady answered the door and her kids were roaming around. I said, excuse me, ma'am, you don't know me. Um, I know this is crazy, but I grew up in this house. Is there any way I could take my wife in and see the inside of the house? And she just looked at me really funny. And um, for some reason she said yes. And so she let us in and I, I promised her that we wouldn't roam too far. I didn't want her calling the cops or anything. But I was pointing out all these things inside the house to my wife, like this is where I broke a window one time and, and this was my bedroom down the hallway and, and it just brought back all these memories. It was my home. And today I wanna talk about one of the greatest homecomings of all time. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 15, and we're gonna tell you a story that's very familiar, it's a story that Jesus told. You see, a home represented incredible memories, but what I wanna tell you is that home was a temporary place. Obviously, I do not live there anymore. And we do a lot to our homes to make them look nice and, and make them feel comfortable, but, but a home is very temporary. And today as we talk about this idea of coming home to God, we're talking about something that is eternal. It is about having a relational connection with a God who is eternal. It's a picture of the closeness between you and our Heavenly Father. And that's what coming home means. It means being close and connected to God, maybe for the first time or maybe it's a reconnect. 
And the reason I believe that this is important to talk about is because life works best when we are connected with God. Life works best when we are close to God. So no matter what your temporary situation is in life or how you feel right now, I believe the majority of us would like to be close to God. That's why we are at church right now. We are seeking him, we are seeking something. And I wanna read this story, it's in Luke 15 verses 11 through 32, and it's a story that Jesus told, and it's about the greatest homecoming ever. Not only that, just like camp where we ring the bell, there's a celebration at the end of this story as well, and this story is most often known as a story of the prodigal son, but there's so much more than just this one character. So Jesus was telling the story, and he was talking to two types of people. Okay, at this point in Jesus' ministry, um, people are starting to know who Jesus is. He's, he's performing miracles. He's doing all of these great things, and he's drawing crowds. And, and some people love Jesus, and some people hate Jesus. And some people are just trying to figure out who this guy is, but he's drawing a crowd. And there's two types of people that Jesus is talking to in the story. One are the notorious sinners, all right? We have the thieves and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all the ones just, that just kinda wanna hear what he has to say. And, and then you also had the other group that were the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Jesus knew how to draw an audience, and he is talking to so many different types of people. And the story is about a father and his two sons, and the younger son does something really wild and radical, and you can see it in verse 12. He says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. I want half, I want my inheritance now, which in reality is saying, Father, I, I don't want anything to do with this family. I don't want anything to do with you. I, I don't want a relationship at all, but I want to feed my selfish desires. I want everything. In fact, I might as well wish that you were dead because what is coming to me when you die, I want right now. And I can imagine the people listening to Jesus tell the story thinking, that is crazy. The fact that this young son would, would say this to his father, that is radical. But what's something even more radical is that the father gives him his inheritance. And I imagine these religious leaders listening to Jesus tell the story thinking, what, what kind of father would do this? There's, there's no way. And the father gives him everything that the son asked for. And as Jesus is telling the story, what he's doing is he's trying to paint a picture of what God is like. So the father in the story represents God and the sons in the story represent you and, and me. So the father gives him the money and the Bible says in verse 13 that he goes away, the young son goes away on a journey to a far country. And in that far country, he squandered all his property in reckless living. And it depends on what Bible translation you are reading, but there's reckless living, there's foolish living, rebellious living, uh, parties, prostitutes. However you translate it, the son is doing very bad things. He just wastes and squanders all of his money. And at that time, he runs out of money. A famine comes across the country. 
And I was thinking, isn't that a lot like life? Like when it rains, it pours. A lot of it by our own doing. We we make mistakes and bad things happen, but then now here's this famine that overcame the country. And so this son has nothing. He's in a bad situation to say the least. And, And he doesn't even contemplate going home because he knows that he's brought so much shame against his family. So what he does, this younger son, he hires himself out and he tries to get a job. And the only place he can get a job is is feeding pigs. And as Jesus is telling the story, he understands his audience. He understands the Jewish people that he's talking to. A pig is unclean, right? The fact that the son would go get a job working with pigs, Jesus is saying that this guy has hit rock bottom, lower than low. He's a poster child of shame that he would get a job to stoop that low to work with pigs where even the pig food was attractive to him. And it says this in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So that leads me to ask this question. How many of you have ever blown it so bad to where you've had to apologize in a big way. Have you ever been that where you knew you messed up? You knew you did something wrong, maybe as a kid that you got caught in a lie or where you just knew that you had to apologize and the son was a far way off, right? He was in a distant journey and, and I could just see him wanting to come home to the father and he's rehearsing his lines. He knows that he has to apologize. He knows how bad that he has messed up and he's just kind of rehearsing. He's working it out in his head and what's fascinating to me in verse 20, it says this, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. You see, the father is representing God. He sees his son coming, filled with love and compassion that his son is coming home. He runs to him and embraces him and and kisses him. And before the son can even apologize, the father speaks up and says, servants, my son is home. You know what? We're throwing a party. Find a robe. Find a ring to put on his finger. Find shoes for his feet. You know that fattened calf that we have? Go get it because my son is home and we are going to celebrate. And I was just thinking, wouldn't that be great if the story just ended right there, but it doesn't. The party is going on, but there's another son in the story, and the other son is out working, and he hears the commotion and all the noise, and he begins to walk up to the house and says, he asks one of his servants, what's going on inside? And and one of the servants says, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And you know what the response of the older brother was? It was, it was, it was anger, it was, it was jealousy. Can you, re- can, you, can you relate to that, that somebody gets something that you don't get, so, so you get mad, somebody else is getting that blessing that, that you wanted? 
And as I was reading the story, this, this one thing hit me that this father went outside to the other son as well. He didn't have to go very far, he just went outside, but, but he went to him. And here's a picture of God the Father running to the lost and going outside for the disconnected. In both cases, the father went looking for his sons, the older and the younger. And it says this in verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that, I, that is mine is yours. Can you imagine God saying that to you today, this morning? All that I have is yours. My presence is made available to you. My power is made available to you. Everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. And Jesus tells a story and in doing so, he's trying to paint this picture of, of who God is. And I would love for you to go home and just read this passage in Luke 15. Read and discover what God's character is like on your own. But to prompt you a little bit, I wanna share with you a few things that I've learned from this story. So if you do have some sort of paper, some sort of notes, I would love for you just to write out these points that I've learned from the story. Number one, our Father, he is patient enough to not give up. The story tells us that God is patient enough to not give up, and I know people who say, I am so messed up. God, he, he would not want anything to do with me. You don't know how many times that I have sinned, how many times I've messed up, I've walked away from God. I can't even count. God is done with me. And the, and the truth is, he's not. He remains hopeful. Verse 20 says, while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. And imagine this, a beautiful image of God just patiently waiting and watching, hopeful that, that you and I would return. And a lot of times we have a hard time understanding or relating to this and this idea of being patient and not giving up because we are not patient people. Um, naturally, it just does not come easy for us. When someone hurts us, we might forgive them once, okay? I mean, some people are obviously more patient than others. We might forgive them once, but if someone burns us or hurts us two times, three times, I mean, forget it. We are done with, with, with those people because we don't wanna be hurt anymore. And God is the complete opposite of that. We don't understand the type of patience that our Heavenly Father has. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is patient. He wants everybody to come home. One of my biggest pet peeves in the church, and, and I used to do this all the time, and I've kind of trained myself not to, is especially it's been hard with COVID. There's been a lot of people that we haven't seen for a really long time. But it used to be when a student would walk into the youth room that you know, we kind of, I would say things like, where have you been, <laughs> you know? Or I haven't seen you in forever. And I just finally realized how annoying and obnoxious that is. And I don't, it came to the point where I, I tried to train myself, I don't care, you know, where you've been. I don't care that you haven't been here. You are here today and we are gonna celebrate because you are here with us. And so when now new visitors come, I try to just avoid where have you been 
or people that have been here before and haven't been here a while. Where have you been? I don't, I don't say that anymore. I just say, welcome back. It's so good to see you. And I'm still trying to, to do that every time someone comes back. Uh, the other day I was watching the movie Forrest Gump. Have you guys ever seen that movie? Okay, it's a classic. At the end of the movie, Forrest takes Forrest Jr. to the first day of school to the bus stop and, and Forrest is there at the bus stop with Forrest Jr. and he's just waiting for his son to get up on the bus and, and what does Forrest say to him when Forrest Jr. turns around on the bus? He goes, I'll, I'll be here waiting for you when you get back. I thought that was so powerful. Kind of hilarious because Forrest is gonna sit on the bench all day and just wait for his son but but he was gonna wait, and that's what a father does. A father waits for his son. And some of us today, we need to see God in that light, that you are in a distant land or you're disconnected and you need to see God. And I want you to know that he's waiting patiently for you. Some of you aren't runaways, but you're disconnected, and he's not giving up on you. Second thing I've learned from this father is that our father is passionate enough to show extreme love. He's passionate enough to show extreme love. This story is probably my most favorite story in all the Bible, and my favorite verse in this is verse 20. It says, the father saw him a long way away, and he ran to his son. This is the only time in the Bible where there's a picture of God running, okay? What makes this even more interesting is that in that culture during that day, this father would have worn a long garment. He would have worn a robe. And that father, there's no way he would have been caught running. It would kind of be running, um, it'd be hard to run. I, I can imagine maybe like a long dress, okay? I've never worn a dress, but I can imagine that it would be really hard to run in that. And not only that, this father's running, and I'm sure the robe is lifting up, he's exposing his bare leg, and that kind of thing, and in that culture, that would not have been ideal. And for him to pull that robe up and run with his bare leg showing in that culture, it was unheard of. But this was extreme love, this father didn't care. Why did he run? Because he was passionate enough to go to the extreme just to say that he loved him. And then in verse 20, it says that he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Guys, this is extreme love. Where was that son working? He, he was feeding pigs. His son was lost. He was alone. He was distant. He, he, he was gone for a long time, long journey back home. He smelled horrible. Okay, I'm sure he smelled like pigs and sweat. And this father just did not care about all the sin that was on this son. He embraced him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And here's the thing, he didn't say, son, go and get cleaned up and then I'll embrace you and hug you and we'll celebrate. All of his sins, all of his transgressions, everything that he had, the father embraced him right there. And what I love about this is that there was no lecture Right, a lot of us in the past have gotten lectures from our parents maybe, if we've messed up. There was no lecture. He didn't say anything about the son's past and in the absence of words, I think he says a lot, in the absence of words he says everything that the son is forgiven. You see, extreme love doesn't always need words. You never have to worry about whether God's going to love you or not. And why this is so difficult for us to understand is because in life, we check in with people all the time. We need that information. 
I've been married to my wife 10 years and I still need affirmation that she loves me, all right? There's times where I will tell her I love you and if I don't hear it back, have you ever had that where you don't hear it back and I say I love you and I think she does this sometimes just to play with me, I love you and she'll say thank you. <laughs> I'm like no, no, I love you and then finally she'll say of course she loves me. All right, she's my wife, we've been married 10 years and, and I know that she loves me, I know that I know that she loves me, but I still have to hear that affirmation. But God is not like that. God loves us. And we might question whether humans love us or not, but you never have to question whether God loves you or not, okay? Third thing, the third thing we can know about God based on the story is that our Father is forgiving enough to accept me. And some of us have this mindset, before I come to God, here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have to clean up my act, I'm gonna have to get it all together. And you might be thinking, I'm not worthy of that patience, I'm not worthy of that extreme love, I'm not worthy of that forgiveness, and you're right, you're not, and I'm not either. And that's what blows me away about God's love. And I've talked to people that want forgiveness but say that sounds easy for, for some but you don't know what I've done, you don't know my past, you don't know what I've been through. And number one, I just wanna tell you, God's not surprised about your past, okay, he knows. And two, he's forgiving enough to accept you just the way that you are. I once heard a pastor say, you don't clean a fish before you catch it, right? That you catch the fish first and then you clean it. You bring it into the boat and then you clean it. The son came home and then the father got him cleaned up. Let's get him the robe, let's get him some shoes, let's get him a ring, let's throw a celebration. God forgives you enough to accept you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And that's where the change comes in. With his forgiveness, we're getting something that we don't deserve. You know what the son deserved when he came home? What did the son in that culture deserve? He deserved to be punished. The son deserved, in that time, in Mosaic law, that son probably deserved to be an outcast from the family. He deserved death. He was ridiculed by his family. That's what he deserved, but he didn't. What did he get? He got a celebration. Daniel 9.9 says this, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving enough that we have rebelled against him. Every one of us has rebelled against God and he is still forgiving. So the question this morning is now what? This is great, it shows us a picture of God and his love for us, but how can we take this and how can we apply this to our lives this morning? And I just think we follow the steps of the Son of what this son did. Number one is that you come to your senses. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? He came to his senses. This first point is the need for God. It's a wake-up call. And I have to admit, in this story, there's not much good to say about this younger son, right? He's full of selfishness. He, he said he wanted his father's money. He left. Um, there's nothing really good to say. But one thing I do love about this younger son is that it took him to hit rock bottom, but he finally came to his senses. He decided to get up. He decided to say, you know what? As much shame as I have, I am going to go home to my father. I don't care how embarrassing it is, I don't care how it looks, 
I don't, I don't know what my father's gonna do to me, but I am going to go home. He made the choice to look up and to get up and to go home. And I wanna stop here for a moment because I believe someone in here needs to hear this today. I know I did. There might be someone online that needs to hear this today. Is that you might be a point in your life where you've hit rock bottom, where you feel like you do not deserve God's love. You are desperate. You are alone. You have gone far away to a distant journey. And you think God will never love you. Maybe you're going through each day without purpose, without meaning, and I want you to know that there is hope. You have a father searching for you. You just have to make that decision to come to your senses. And this story for me was not easy to teach. I've got things in my life I have to work out, and it can be painful at times, and I start thinking about this, and, and I thought, you know, I'm not a runaway. I don't live this big, immoral lifestyle but I am an occasional sinner, a drifter. I, I know as a pastor, I'm supposed to be this like professional Christian, you know, and I, and I love God. I, I don't want people to doubt that, but I do drift occasionally. And I don't consciously wake up in the morning and say, how can I sin today? But there are times where I feel alone. There's times where I feel distant from God and I allow my soul to starve and it just happens. And there are, times when my times with God goes unattended and my spiritual life goes shallow. But then I was thinking about the older son, there's times when I'm like him as well. And, and I'm jealous and I ask these questions, why, why does he get this? Why does she get that reward and that blessing? I've been a Christian way longer than, than these people. Why are they getting so blessed and I'm not? And there's times where I feel like I'm the older son as well. And my question to you is, what is keeping you from answering your wake-up call, maybe your priorities are mixed up, maybe you can relate to the sun and there's sin in your life, you've drifted or you don't feel connected. Maybe you just have this apathy about you where you're not sinning a lot but you just feel disconnected with God. What is your wake-up call? I had a bad wake-up call when Amy and I first got married or actually she was pregnant with Brayden and we were living in California, and I was driving, I was on the phone, and I did not have my seatbelt on, okay? The worst of the worst, I don't recommend any of that, okay? So I'm driving, and I go through this intersection, and this car comes through, runs a light, T-bones me. My car does about three spins, and I have one little scratch on me, and that's it. And I actually finished my text, like right after I got hit, okay? And I just thought, oh my word. Like, what was I thinking? I have a wife. I, I have a soon-to-be son. I am responsible for other people. How selfish am I just to be not wearing a seatbelt, being on the phone? I'm not thinking, and at that time, at that moment, that was a wake-up call that I have to take my job as a husband and as a father very, very serious. How do you come to your senses? My encouragement to you is to not put it off. Don't put the evaluation off of your own life, but hold up the mirror because the Bible says that time is running out. Romans 13, 11 says this. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You can come home. 
So the first thing is to come to your senses. Second thing is we need to come clean. He says this, I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned. And that's what coming clean is. And this is where you expose God to God your sin and ask for forgiveness that you know that he's gonna give it to you. And it's not only to expose your sin to God and ask for forgiveness, that's the easy part, but I would encourage you to express it to somebody else for accountability. Why? Because we all sin in here. That's something that we all have in common. We all mess up. And then when we hide and we go from sin to hide and we don't deal with it and it kind of eats at us and we need to get to the point where we come clean with our sin. My challenge is to, for you is to not hide your sin, to get caught, to get found, tell other people your struggles. I have a cousin, uh, he's my best friend in the world and he keeps me accountable. When I mess up and I do something stupid, my cousin says, you know what, Eric? You're being really stupid right now, okay? And he doesn't hold back at all. He says, I love you, but you need to get this out of your life right now because that is not what you should be doing. Scripture says that. And I have this cousin, he will just speak honesty and truth into me. And yes, we need to come clean to God, but come clean to somebody, one of your grow groups that you're in, someone in your family, a friend, someone that you can trust, come clean. And it saddens me that I meet a lot of people that are more concerned with getting caught than getting help. The Bible's so clear about this, Proverbs 28, 13, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Come to your senses, come clean, and then third one is to come home. Come home, verse 18 says, I'll arise and go back to my father. Remember, he's waiting for everyone to come to repentance. Means to turn around, to come home. And I, I actually, I just look at the story and I'm amazed about the day that the son returned home. He was beaten by his own addictions and his greed and he began his journey expecting rejection and secretly hoping that his father would take him back. And while he was still a ways off, the father sees him, he runs to him, he hugs him, he kisses him. And I can just imagine the son trying to get the words out, Father, I have been unfaithful and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, welcome home, my son. I am your faithful father. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your addictions. Your father is waiting for you to come home. So my question for all of us this morning is what does coming home mean to you? Let's make it personal. Because Jesus is speaking to us. He's telling the story for a reason. I think of the audience that Jesus is talking to, but you know, 2,000 years later, there's an audience right here of the same story. What is Jesus saying to you about this idea of coming home? Maybe coming home for you means you never have entered into a relationship with God before in your life. And you know a lot about God. Maybe you've been raised in the church, but you've never made that first step. I want you to know God is waiting for you. Some of you in here have already done that. You would say, I'm not in a distant land, but, but you're disconnected. Maybe there's just something about today or God's spirit that's working in you and, you, and you're saying, I am disconnected. I want to reprioritize my life. I want to come clean. And my challenge for you is to find someone that can help you do that. 
And then there's those that say, you know what, I'm already a Christian, I feel pretty good about my relationship with God, I feel pretty connected, what is my action step? And to me, this is probably the most uncomfortable of all of them, is that we need to help point the way home to other people who are lost. Your action step is to tell others about God, about this Jesus that you're connected with. Runaways can always come home, and when you do, just imagine God's presence, his joy, his face. Ephesians 3.12 says this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, you can be assured that God's saying, welcome back, I've been waiting for you, welcome home. And then when you've done these three things, when you come to your senses and you come clean and you come home, the last thing, come celebrate. Celebration is the result of being connected with God. It's a joy that's unspeakable. It's a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of pain. And I understand that some of us have pain in our lives, but what I'm talking about is this celebration that rises above our circumstances. It's deeper than happiness. Celebrate these three things we've been talking about, coming to your senses, coming clean, coming home, and now we celebrate. This coming home that Jesus referred to in the story ends with a celebration. Romans 5.11 says this, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Another translation says, we become friends with God. That's what coming home to God is, it's being a friend of God, deepening that relationship. When I was a child, one of our family traditions was to go to the State Fair of Texas, all right? Many of you have probably been there. And to this day, I love the State Fair of Texas. Like, I want my kids to experience that, so I take my kids. I don't know why, I love everything about it, the carnies, the games, the food, okay? And, but that was a big tradition when I was a kid. And when I was eight years old, we were there at the fair, and my dad would, would give us tickets, and he would even them out between me and my siblings and for the food and the rides and the games. And my brother would go do the rides. My sister would do the rides and get the food. But you know what I did? Back then, I don't even know if they have these anymore, but they had these freak shows in the 80s, okay, when I was a kid, and you could go see Lizard Man, or you could go see the world's smallest lady, or you could go see, and I was fascinated by that stuff. And my dad would have to talk to me because I would literally spend all my tickets going to see these crazy things. I wouldn't even eat that day. I just wanted to see like the world's largest man, okay? And I don't know why, but I was fascinated. And I remember when I was eight years old, my, my dad, gave me my tickets and went out even thinking, I'm, I'm not sure what happened or how he didn't see me, but I took off to one of these shows. So I did my thing and I walked through and saw like Lizard Man or something like that. And I came out of that show and I was looking around for my family. I couldn't find them anywhere. And I thought I actually saw the back of my dad's head a little ways off and he turned around, it wasn't him. And so there I am in the middle of Midway, eight years old, just terrified. And five minutes becomes 10 minutes, and 10 becomes 15, and I begin breaking down and crying. And finally, the security person finds me, and they take me into this room with all the other lost kids. And 
And we're all sitting there together. And I remember genuinely thinking like, am I gonna have to live at the fair, okay? Because at that point I was like, where's my family? They're gonna put me to work here. And what became an hour became two hours. And here I am as the eight-year-old, became three hours. And I'm just sitting there just bawling, crying, waiting for my family to find me. And sure enough, three and a half hours later, my dad comes into this room. And I just remember that excitement that I just leap out of my chair and, and I just run to him and I just jump in his arms and I embrace him. And I, I know he, he's gonna punish me, right? Like he's so mad, but all I keep saying is I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I had to go see Lizard Man, I'm sorry. And without any kind of lecture, all my father kept saying was, it's okay. It's okay, I love you, you're safe, you're secure, I have you. And the reason that story, man, that gets to me is because here's what I realized about our relationship with God. While I was actively searching for my father, my father was desperately searching for me. And that's what I want you to know this morning, that you have a father who's desperately searching for you. And some of you are far away off. Some of you are disconnected. But I want you to know there's no time to wait. Now is a time. This is a season to come run to the Father because he's looking for you. He's waiting for you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to tell you that you're not alone. You don't have to worry anymore. You're safe. You have my presence. You have my power. I'm gonna guide you now. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna sing the song about running to the Father. And I just want you to reflect on these lyrics and I just want you to make a decision today. Where are you in your relationship with God? What does coming home mean to you? And if you want someone to help you, I'm gonna be up front. You can come up and I will gladly pray with you. If you wanna email Dr. Marr, pastor at southcliff.com and just kind of share what coming home means to you, this would be a great time to respond. Maybe it's just kneeling down at your seat. Maybe it's just reflecting in prayer. But let's sing and let's make this decision to come home today. Father, for 
grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon My soul needs a friend So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again Oh, oh, oh You saw my condition Had a plan from the start your son for redemption price for my heart and i don't have a context for that kind of love i don't understand i can't comprehend all i know is that i need you run to the father i fall into grace i'm done with the hiding no reason to wait my heart needs a surgeon my soul needs a friend so i'll run to the father again and again and again and again Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are seeking us, searching for us. And Lord, I just pray that we will take this story from you and we will reflect on it, Lord. And we will use it to just draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.